Some Pharisees came, and to test him, they asked, Is it for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, his disciples, they asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Well, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, well, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. The word of the Lord. Little husband and wife moment there. Um, this last week has been kind of a whirlwind. Uh, especially if you've been watching the news at all, you probably are getting sick of hearing the name Brett Kavanaugh. And I figured, you know, maybe we shouldn't mix religion and politics. Maybe this is something better left for Pastor Kevin to say one-on-one. -on -one. But then I thought, what the heck? The gospel reading is about divorce. How much more trouble can I get in? There is one common thread that I noticed throughout the entire conversation around Brett Kavanaugh. Whether we know the truth of the allegations or not, I don't think there's been enough investigation to prove it one way or the other. So I'm just going to sidestep that entire issue. If you want to fight about it later, we can. But hearing the stories that were told in those confirmation hearings and in those interviews, hearing the references to things that were done under the influence or at least around alcohol and the excess thereof. It made me realize that I am actually very grateful for our denomination's stance against drinking. Because we don't decide, well, you know, Jesus made 150 gallons of wine once. So clearly, the Son of God, the sinless, incarnate Son of God, cannot sin by creating alcohol and giving it to people. So a drink must not be the problem. However, I would be willing to bet that everyone in this room has heard a story of pain and hurt or abuse at the hands of someone who had at least one too many. My personal belief is that the hearings in the last couple of weeks illustrate that. So our job as, as Christians 
in moments like this is not to say, well, I vote red or I vote blue. After all, in theory, the Supreme Court is apolitical anyway. But be careful what you say. Because even if the most partisan politicians on both sides are right, and Brett Kavanaugh is completely guilty, the way we treat him is the way we treat those of us who have made mistakes. And on the other side, how many of us know someone who has suffered abuse of that kind? How we respond to those stories being shared, how we listen, and how we care and love for the people who are most vulnerable defines who we are as Christians. To shove someone aside for political gain, it doesn't matter if the victim is red or blue. It doesn't matter if you're making Brett Kavanaugh out to be a villain for political gain or if you're slandering Christine Blasey Ford. They're both wrong. This isn't about winning the Supreme Court. Because after all, Jesus lived in a time of one of the most oppressive empires the world has seen. He didn't spend his time working against the Roman Empire. He spent time with prostitutes and tax collectors. Because it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. So when you flip on the news at night, I hope you listen with God's ears and that you look for the people who need to be supported, encouraged, listened to, and to look how you can make your corner of our country a less angry, less divisive, and less hateful place. That's all I can say from the pulpit because I'm about to say something that will get everyone else mad. Let's just say I was not toasting Brett Kavanaugh last night. When I read the passage from Mark, though, you get lots of questions about divorce. If the statistics hold, half of the marriages that have begun by people in this congregation either have or will end in divorce. So if we're sitting here and we, we acknowledge that it happens, that it happens to those who claim Christianity or not, we need to read this passage and try and figure out what is it that Christ is asking us to do. So to get a little context, you can look back and you say, okay, well, what were the Pharisees trying to accomplish? They come and they talk to Jesus. And they ask him a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Seems like a straightforward question. Is this against Jewish law or isn't it? So Jesus gives the, the standard response because this is kind of a usual back and forth you get with people who study Jewish law, right? The Pharisees, they're, they're theologians, they're believers in the resurrection, they're followers of the Torah, they're, they're keepers of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so their whole worldview, their whole religious experience, the way they, they see everything is to say, okay, this is what it says in the Torah, 
This is what God has asked us to do. So how do we do that today? And so for them to say, is it lawful for us to do this? They're asking, okay, teacher, tell us. When it comes to divorce, what is right? So Jesus asks them first, because that's, this is how the conversations go. This is normal. Jesus throws the ball back in their court and says, well, okay, well, how do you read it? What does Moses tell you? Kind of establishing that baseline. Okay, what's, what's in the Torah? What's in the scripture? What, where are we starting from? Let's get a baseline. And so they say, well, Moses says that you can write a certificate of divorce and then you can dismiss her. And they're not wrong. That's what the Old Testament says. So all of a sudden, you've, you've got this, this setup already where Jesus is facing a trap. He's been preaching this gospel of love and acceptance. He's gone out of his way to accept people who the Torah would have otherwise condemned. And so the Pharisees are trying to nail him down. Okay, here's an obvious example. The Torah clearly states this. We know we're right about that. But we're willing to bet you don't like that. So Jesus, what do you have to say about it? So Jesus, his answer, after they tell him what it says in the law, they're kind of flipping things around a bit. He, he answers it and he says, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, what, what is scripture really for? And see, this, this illustrates kind of a point, right? Because you've got this whole history in the Jewish tradition where scripture is used to begin conversations, not end them. Right? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I imagine most of you have had the experience I have on Facebook, where I'm, I'm talking about something with someone, and then somebody won't even comment or give any of their own thoughts. They'll literally just post a Bible reference, and then that's, that's it. You know? And so all of a sudden, it's like they walk in and they go, well, the Bible is this. I don't even have to interpret it for you. It's so painfully obvious that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm going to walk away now. It's dismissive. It's condescending. It's not at all the way Jesus talked about Scripture. It's the beginning of the conversation, not the end. And so the Pharisees were right that a man can give the certificate of divorce and walk away. But that's the beginning of the conversation, not the end. And so Jesus starts quoting other parts of the Torah because scripture is essentially important to him. He was Jewish. And so he uses Jewish scripture, this history of God's relationship with his chosen people, the laws that he gave them, and he says, well, here's the rest of the story. It's more than just this nice social arrangement. You can hand them a nice certificate and both go your separate ways. This is where God has made two people one flesh. They have been joined together. And this is his subtle rebuke of divorce. It's not clarifying the who, what, where, when, how, why, or how it's justified. He instead goes back and says, this is what marriage is for. It's for two people to be joined and to become one flesh, to become one spirit. It's this emotional, spiritual, and physical union that is not meant to be broken. And so then Jesus goes and he talks to his disciples later, right? And the disciples understandably go, hold on, Jesus, uh, we, we Jews have been doing it differently for a long time, and it seems like you're kind of rocking the, rocking the boat here. 
we need you to say a little more about that. And so Jesus kind of elaborates and he, he specifies that whoever divorces and then remarries commits adultery. And the way he says it, you know, there's this kind of nerdy thing that goes on because he gives the same commandment in both directions, right? He says, well, if a man does this, then this, then that's adultery. And if a woman does this and this, then that's also adultery. But I'm going to nerd out on English grammar for a little bit here. Because he doesn't say anyone who's been married before and gets remarried commits adultery. Because that would have been shorter. It would have been easier to say it that way. But that's not what he said. He said that if there's somebody who looks at someone and divorces them, meaning the person doing the divorcing is the subject, the acting subject of the sentence, right? They're the the person who's made the decision. They're the person who's acting, who had the... they, They could either decide to do it or not. If somebody does that and then goes and gets married again, then he says that's adultery. And then he flips the genders around just to make sure nobody thinks it's only for men or only for women. He says, and then if a woman does the same thing, that's also bad. What he doesn't say is that in the instance that somebody is divorced and gets remarried, that that is adultery. He doesn't say that. And so there are cases where somebody may have been married And obviously, if they're widowed, or if perhaps their spouse left them, they didn't choose to have their spouse leave, or if their spouse broke the marriage covenant. These are situations that Jesus didn't talk about. He didn't condemn them. But when he talks about these things, it's it's really interesting what... He does say, because he he makes it kind of obvious that Jewish law is not supposed to be a bunch of if, then, then, that, then you're wrong kind of statements. It's a bunch of statements about who God is, what God values, and what are the ideals and the goals and the good things that we seek to be. What should a good marriage be is the question Jesus is interested in answering. A good marriage cannot be abusive. A good marriage cannot be a situation where someone has abandoned someone else. A good marriage does not have adultery as a part of that. And so Jesus, as members of the Free Methodist Church, we explicitly state those are three acceptable reasons for divorce. We don't hold people responsible for that. That wasn't you deciding or you acting and you saying, I would like to be abandoned today. Or I would like my partner to cheat on me. Or I would like to be the victim of abuse. Nobody says that. So if you find yourself in that situation, you have official authority from the church to please leave. And if the instance is that there's been some sort of criminal wrongdoing, please call the cops. Please turn someone in. Please keep you, yourself, or your children safe. Because that's not what marriage was meant to be. You're not deciding to end a good thing. You're deciding to protect victims. To protect those who have no power to protect themselves is justice. See, think of justice as some sort of like court power relationship, but in scripture, justice is almost always defending the cause of the person who can't defend themselves. 
If you provide for widows and orphans, that is justice. Even if you're giving them money they didn't technically earn, that is just to do so. Because I haven't stepped on enough toes this morning, that means that welfare or food stamps is biblically just. Because you're providing for someone who, for whatever reason, is unable to provide for themselves. And so we start to see this, this power relationship developing in Scripture, and particularly in Jesus' critique of what the Jews had just kind of assumed was normal and good. They've been doing it this way for centuries by this point, and Jesus just comes along and goes, eh, not, no, not quite. You guys missed the point a bit. Let me, let me refocus us here. And so it, it's interesting to me that this passage on welcoming the little children the parents who maybe were a little too pushy in getting their kids to come and be blessed by Jesus, right? The disciples think they're protecting Jesus from this inconvenience, and they're, they're protecting an important spiritual teacher from these distractions. And yet Jesus gets a little indignant. He rebukes them. He's like, no, 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 bring, up, bring the kids. Because this, these kids, this is where the kingdom of heaven belongs. These guys own the kingdom of heaven. I work for them. Because Jesus lived a life in service and in recognition of and giving dignity to children and sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and the people that good Jewish culture would not have accepted. He touched lepers. And so we look at the times that adultery happened in Scripture, and Jesus was there for it. And Jesus was asked his opinion, either directly or indirectly. And you get that one time that a bunch of Jewish leaders grabbed a woman who they said was caught in the act of adultery and brought her to Jesus and said, we've caught this woman. Moses says to stone her. What do you think we should do? It's another trap, right? Do you want to follow the letter of the law? the way good Jewish people should? Or do you want to show compassion? And somehow the Pharisees thought that was a trap. And Jesus just bends down and writes in the dirt. I would love to know what he's writing. But for whatever reason, the Pharisees start wandering off. So finally, it's just Jesus and this woman who's caught in adultery left. And he just kind of looks up and goes, oh, they're gone. They're not, they're not going to condemn me. And she says, well, I guess not. They left. And Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. You can go. The incarnate Son of God, the one person who could have, without any hint of malice or evil, the one person who could have legitimately condemned the woman, decided not to. Decided to protect her. He decides to spend time with children, healing the sick and healing lepers. Behold, 
question to answer is why is there so much pain? Why are things so broken? I spent a lot of time trying to answer that. And I have a bunch of really crappy half answers that don't really make anyone feel better. But when I read the Gospels, and I see how Jesus treated the people who were suffering, the only thing I know is that I want to follow the God who acts like that. I can live my life in service to a God who wants to heal the hurts, even if it means bending a few rules and just choosing to say nothing for a while. And so it would be really easy to get caught up in watching the news and being either angry red or angry blue. Instead, I want us to work for justice. And by that, I don't mean using the courts. I don't mean lawsuits. I don't mean prosecutors and defendants. I mean biblical justice. I, would, I want our church to be a place where we would rather wrong the people with power in defense of the people who don't. Because the people with power and means, they can take the hit. It'll be okay. But maybe that's just one hit too many for the person who's hurting. So every week when I come to take communion, I take it in a slightly different way 